Welcome to Beyond Gameplay. I'm Kelly Dunlap. My guest today is Jay Collins. Jay is a computer science teacher at Hathaway Brown School in Cleveland, Ohio, and also the executive director of GG Plus, a nonprofit that empowers teens through esports. Jay and I met uh, a couple months ago when I traveled to the Ohio Esports Tournament being hosted at the Hathaway Brown School. Uh, Jay was kind enough to uh, to talk to me then, and I'm, I'm super excited to hear uh, what's been happening since. So, Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you. Always excited to speak with you and um, learn more, too, about what iThrive is doing. Oh, well, wonderful. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I, I got to meet you uh, early this summer at the very first esports tournament tournament hosted at an all girls school, uh, which was Hathaway Brown, and you were the one who made that happen. Can you talk a little bit about about the the tournament, wh- how it started, how it ended? Yeah, um, we weren't really looking to make history at any particular point in time, um, and to be honest, we were a little surprised when we found out that we were. It's uh, 2019, and we weren't expecting there have not to been esports tournaments at all girls schools or even an esports team at an all girls school before. Um, but when we found that out, we uh, I think we're excited to lean into it. So I had originally come out here to Hathaway Brown from the Department of Education and Fable Vision Studios, um, where I was doing work in game based education. Um, I had talked a lot about esports and the power of it and the ability of it to connect to socio-emotional skills and 21st century skills. And um, we tried a lot of different, uh, we tried a few different popular methods of incorporating esports into schools, and we found out that it just didn't really work here. Um, and we are we are a smaller school, right? So we have about 400 upper school students. Um, our students are um, primarily girl, young girls. And uh, the models that were out there just didn't speak to them. So um, like any uh, competent and uh, somewhat sane person, we said, well, we'll just make our own league then. Um, So we did that and found that um, it worked really well. So whereas last September, last October, we were having conversations in the school saying where people were saying things like, well, maybe we don't have any gamers here. Um, instead, this year we are starting our second year of esports competitions, and we had uh, 20 girls sign up uh, for our team. We have tryouts. Um, we have we had a an in person tournament run by students. I wasn't even looped in at first um, <laughs> between students and some faculty members, uh, and we had um, I think 40 people at one time, which is about 10% of our student population um, cheering other folks on. I mean, it's it's been amazing what's happened in about the last nine months related to this. And again, if we had taken that first idea of, well, maybe girls don't play games or maybe we don't have any gamers here, none of this would have happened. So what was the the magic sauce, the defining moment um, or, or ingredient that was different between what you started with and where you ended up? I think there's, you know, any any complex community-based uh, activity is going to have multiple things feeding into it. But I think one of the biggest things that we realized, one of the biz- biggest change factors um, is what I, I am now referring to as the Die Hard effect, um, which is that Die Hard is a, is a great movie. 
Um, I like Die Hard. Uh, it's got all kinds of different things. Um, but if you look at the demographics of people who like Die Hard, uh, they, it skews male, right? And so if your school is having a lot of um, movie nights, and at every single movie night, you are only showing the movie Die Hard, um, you are not going to be surprised if the people who show up for your movie nights are mostly boys. And so um, in the same way, a lot of esports clubs will only play a single game. And that game, guess what? It's primarily targeted at young boys. And so when schools run, um, you know, esports event after esports event, and they say, where are all of the girls? Um, a lot of times they're not looking at the kind of media that they're putting out there. They're not looking at the demographics of, uh, of what they're doing. Um, and that just seems like an immediate red flag um, for some girls. I, I think a lot of game companies and schools try and try and remedy that by doing outreach. I'm not super convinced that that's the way to go, right? I don't think that, to continue this analogy just a little bit more, I don't think that we should be running around our school trying to convince girls to like Die Hard. Um, I think we should be asking them what movies they like. And in the same way, I think we should be asking them what games they like and then creating events and structures around that um, instead of trying to force them into something uh, that maybe is is not something that speaks to them. And what what games are they telling you that they want to play? My goodness, um, I could probably get half of our school to dance to Just Dance. That is like <laughs> a cultural phenomenon here. Um, I, that's really popular um, right now at our school. Super Smash Brothers um, and Brawlhalla are super popular. Um, Mario Kart, uh, a bunch of things, really. We don't see a whole lot of first-person shooters here. Um, I think some of that, I, well, I know some of that is stemming from stories that I've heard of girls logging in, trying to work on teams over voice chat and just being harassed. Yeah. Um, and so that's, so that might be a, that is a qualitatively different experience for a, a young boy playing a game like that versus a young girl. Um, it's just, just how it is. Um, and so many of them, uh, shy away from that, uh, for, uh, sports games, uh, like Rocket League, which, uh, is not super popular here. They appreciate that it exists, but they don't really love playing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and racing games, uh, the most common thing that I hear is, yeah, my brother plays that. Um, and, and that's kind of the end of the conversation. So again, it, it's a, it's concerning to me when we see so many of these games, um, making big waves, uh, pulling in scholarship money and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and for the girls, at least that I've seen, a lot of them say, oh yeah, all of that's being built for my brother, not for me. And so what do you, what do you see as a college esports scholarship that would be designed with the interests and needs of, you know, uh, teenage girls in mind. So I don't, I don't work at the university level. I work at the high school level. And so what I'm trying to imbue in my students is the ability to learn new things. And so one of the ideas behind the league that we're playing in now is that we're not going to play just one game. We're actually going to play three or four different games and we're going to play them every year. And by doing that, we're focusing less on the specifics of one game and focusing more on those intangible skills like teamwork, leadership, how to learn, um, some of those executive functioning skills of, uh, you know, how to prepare for a match and uh, how to do some research on, on the teams in advance. 
I think all of those skills are transferable. And so my hope is that in the college scene, they're going to start seeing whatever game that they want to focus on. I'm, I'm not trying to upset the apple cart over there. Um, you know, if they're going to continue on doing ultraviolet games like Counter-Strike or they're going to do, um, you know, League of Legends, which has had its own boat of problems, um, that's fine. But I want my students to be prepared to jump into those um, and compete at a high level by learning how learning how to compete and less learning and fixating on just one game. So the, the idea of using video games, much less esports, to foster social emotional uh, learning and skills, I don't think is the top of mind for most people when they when they think about esports. What? I know it's it's shocking. Uh, so could you? I mean, I know, but I would love to hear from you. What are some of the examples you've seen where literally the the playing of this game together has? given them those opportunities? I mean, you mentioned, you know, being able to learn on on the fly, but like, is there a concrete example that stands out in your mind of like, yes, that's why we're doing this? I, I think I was going into last season, which we ran from about January to May, looking for one case study, one example, really, that we could, that I could hold up and say, look, esports is working. And I was expecting that sample to kind of materialize around the end of the year. Within weeks of starting this, I started to see things I just didn't expect. Um, I saw, I think the biggest change was just bonding. Um, some of these students who were on our team, I would see sometimes sitting in a corner in a hallway alone, um, sometimes playing games, sometimes doing a homework, doing homework. Um, within weeks, they realized that they had a support network here. Um, they would come in, they would play together, they would laugh, they would, uh, I walked in one time and they were running their own quiz show with each other. Um, so they had written things up on the board and were playing Jeopardy to prepare for a history quiz. Nothing related to games, right? But because that social structure was there, they took advantage of it. Um, I have had uh, students that I didn't think spoke, right? That just wasn't something that they enjoyed doing. <laughs> um, and they ended up being announcers for our for our tournament. I had students who uh, had had never really heard of computer science, who jumped into it full force, um, were helping us wire up for the tournament, who ended up with internships um, before their sophomore year in IT fields because of this. Um, I have, even this year, I've had students come in and say, you know, the game lab was closed. I, I was depressed. I didn't have my friends. Um, and that just, Again, I, I haven't done much here. You know, I set up an Xbox and a Nintendo Switch um, and I've given them a safe space where they can have fun and be kids, honestly. And um, it's just made a huge difference to them. Well, I, I'm going to push back a little bit on the idea that you haven't done anything because, I mean, just the, the fact of giving them that safe space, as you said. And then earlier when you talked about the revolutionary idea of why don't we actually ask, you know, young women what they want? It doesn't feel like that should be an earth shattering idea, but it, it is. And so I think you've definitely done a ton of work to create this space where these young women really feel like they can they can make friends and they can do things that maybe outside of school are more off limits because of, you know, issues with harassment or discomfort or that's what my brother does. Yeah, it's been it's it's been a trip for sure. And um it's yeah. I, I will say one of the hardest parts is, is always um, getting buy-in from 
uh, people outside of it. Uh, games are really funny in a way that you can watch them, you can read about them, but until you experience them, it's not the same thing. And so coming in, well, you saw this, right? Um, yeah. you, you may have seen, you may have heard about esports tournaments at high schools, but I'm, I'm guessing that when you came and viewed one yourself, it felt different. That was, in fact, my first esports tournament. And I don't think I was surprised just because, you know, as a, as a gamer myself, like I know how much fun it can be to watch games play, to see people get hyped. Um, but I think what I wasn't expecting was the degree of like community and support that was there. Everybody was cheering. Everybody was getting stoked. Everybody was into it. And that was just really, really delightful to see. And many of them had never met each other before. That's That was the mind-blowing part to me. I mean, you ask for takeaways, right? I, I, I was watching as um, some students turned on Mario Kart and two students were sitting down from our school Two students sat down from a completely different part of Cleveland. Um, these students would never have spoken to each other, would never have known that each other existed. And they simply sat down and said, hey, can we join too? Um, and, and started acting as if they had been friends forever. It's um, amazing. Yeah. And the other thing that I um, was probably most surprised by was the amount of adult involvement. There were, I mean, obviously the coaches were there. But there were school administrators, there were parents, like everybody, it felt like a very supportive space, not just, oh, I'm dropping my kid off at this video game thing, but rather the the leadership structure and the the parental support that is really crucial to developing these kinds of SEL skills was there. And that was that was wonderful to see. I did not expect the parents. Um, I knew that we were going to have the <laughs> students show up. I knew some coaches would show up. One of our teams the parents came on a bus and they came an hour early and I was there throwing tablecloths on top of tables. I was, you know, trying to make sure that we had the food set up and this busload of parents came in and they're like, we're here to see our kids win. And I was like, just could, did not expect something of this. They were, they were so proud. Some of them told me their, their kid hadn't competed in anything before. And they were so proud to see them um, to do that and in a team environment. I'm like tearing up, legitimately <laughs> like tearing up at that thought. Oh, so you said that they these kids hadn't competed before. And so it, what it sounds like is by broadening the field of what we think about as competition or spaces for competitive play, people who are normally sidelined got a chance to get in the action. Absolutely. Um, we had there's one student for example, um, who had been struggling with uh, some of their grades and had been struggling with participating in uh, activities and struggling with participating in classes to the point where we had been having some meetings as faculty and other sorts of things. Um, I mean, it's a real challenge. Um, and they signed up to play esports. And I immediately contacted one of their parents and said, I don't know if this is right for your student right now. Um, your, your student is, is having some, some struggles, uh, with their core academic content. And I don't, I just don't know if an extracurricular is the right choice right now. And to their credit, their parents said, um, get them in, please let them play esports because they need something to hold on to. And, um, and within three weeks, that student turned around to me and, and said, 
can we get hoodies with our school's name on it? Um, and I just, <laughs> I, again, I was, I was hoping to come out of this season with like one story, right? One thing that I can hold up, but this has just touched so many of our students, um, just by, again, setting up this safe space for them. Uh, particularly, yeah, exactly. Those students who had, hadn't been speaking up or hadn't found a community. Um, and this is, this is their home now. And you mentioned in terms of, you know, taking on extracurriculars when the, the core subjects aren't doing great. Is there a, a grade cutoff like you would in, say, a traditional high school sport? We haven't had to have that conversation at this point. Um, I think that uh, many of the students that have been participating so far have been um, strong academically. We are going to probably have to have that conversation this year because of the rapid expansion that we're having. Like I said, we have over um, 10% of our upper school playing games now um, so that the conversation is going to come up. Um, all of those conversations, I think, I know we have in concert with our um, school counselor because uh, for sometimes I think, yes, right. If you're struggling academically and you are not, and you're spending a lot of time participating in games, um, there can be, a mismatch there that you need to work on some of your time management. Um, for other students, the reason for the grade slip isn't time management. It is that kind of that community aspect. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes participating can help with that. Um, this is some of the same conversations too that we've had around video game addiction um, and social media addiction. Uh, again, we're, we don't have a broad policy. Instead, what we have is a, a, a student-focused policy. So we look at a particular student and we say, you know, why are they um, doing activities in the way that they're doing? And how can we structure their school experience to provide the best support for them as an individual? Amazing. Every, every Thinking and acting like every child is unique. <laughs> it's hard sometimes because there are only so many hours in a day. But, of course. Um, but this is, you know, I, I'll share with you my, my favorite quote of all time. Um, I heard at uh, a conference, a serious play conference, actually, and it was from educator Peggy Sheehy. Oh, uh, I love Peggy. Yeah, and she's just such a wonderful student advocate. And, um, you know, she got up there, and this is the first presentation I ever saw her in, actually. And she said, um, what game developers don't realize is that they are, they, they have a hold on the most precious years of someone's life, right? If you think about it, these are kids and they are giving these game developers hours and hours and hours of these moments of their childhood. Um, and it's a big responsibility. It's the same thing that we teachers have to deal with every day um, and making sure that what, what we give them is meaningful and, and provides them with the best. So, um, so it, is, it is hard sometimes because teachers are busy, but it's, it's so critical to be working with them at this level. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you, you, mentioned that it, it kind of sounds like it takes a village. And I know from when I was there this summer, you had a couple partners who were supporting the, the school. Um, do you want to talk about them a little bit? Yeah. Do you mean you all? I thrive? Oh, no. <laughs> no, that was not a self-plug. I, I was thinking more about the library. Oh, yes, of course. Um, so, but I, I will start, I will start with I thrive. We were really excited to have you all involved. Um, I think that having one question that we got a lot of from um, administrators in particular was, you know, what's the value here? And um, 
I, I can talk about it all day, but it sometimes helps to have that external validation. So the research that iThrive is doing in other organizations um, is very helpful to facilitating, facilitating some of these conversations. Um, I think that's why this year we've also included some partners like ISTE and Games for Change, um, who are also working on improving uh, research around digital citizenship and game-based education. So we're really excited to have some of those external partners. Um, can you can you say what ISTE is, just in case someone doesn't know? Yeah, so sorry. Um, ISTE is the International Society for Technology and Education, and uh, they are a member organization of over 25,000 educators, education technology professionals, administrators, and industry professionals, all looking at how technology impacts education. And so... Um, by working with them, what we're hoping to do is tap into the wide array of professional development resources that they have available for teachers, not just on e not just on esports, but really on technology in the classroom in general, and to be providing those to the educators that participate in the league this year. So, um, so we are excited about that. We are also excited about building out communities um, because there are so many educators who feel like they're alone in these questions, and yet almost everyone is at the same point right now. We're all asking you know, what should esports look like in high school classrooms or in the library? That's so exciting. I wish I had esports when I was in high school. <laughs> that is also what I've heard a lot of people say. Well, if you can get a scholarship for this, I'm going back to, I'm going back to undergrad. But, um, but yeah, I think to your original question about the library, um, I, I am a very firm believer that libraries must have a place at the table when it comes to game-based education. And if you think about it, it just makes sense. Um, you're having conversations about sophisticated forms of media, um, sometimes forms of media that are pushing our boundaries in terms of content um, as well as themes. And the people who are best equipped in a school or outside of a school to handle that are librarians. Anytime we come back to the conversation of what should and shouldn't be censored, how we can use a piece of fiction to educate, um, how we can even organize what we're doing. Those are the school librarians who, the, who are the frontline um, advocates there and really are the ones who are protecting free speech in schools. And so I think that um, we were so excited when the Cleveland Public Library, which, is, which was already doing amazing gaming programs, um, was willing to come on board with us as well. Uh, they fielded a team last year. Um, They're fielding an even larger team this year. And, um, and we're excited to plug into some of their programs as well, um, particularly with uh, the, the rock star over there, Tristan Wheeler, um, who's been a, a great collaborator for us. Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. Like, obviously, the, the esports gaming has brought the community of, of high schoolers together. It sounds like it's brought the, the students and the administrators closer together. And you guys are generating community literally within the school and outside of the school by working directly with community partners. Yep. In about nine months. So That's... How, how did you do it? <laughs> like, <laughs> can you share some of that? Yeah. Well, I, I found that um, when you really stop and listen and ask people what motivates, engages, inspires them, and then you put them in the same room with other people who... Um, think a little bit the same and a little bit different. Um, just kind of the magic happens from that. I think a lot of game designers know that, right? If you make a game and you make some interesting things, you make some points of excitement, um, the game itself is okay. But when the players come in, it kind of comes to life. Mm -hmm. That emergent gameplay aspect, the That's unexpected. It. Yeah. That's it. 
Um, so the, the changing tack a little bit, I wanted to ask, um, you've mentioned a couple times that you wanted to walk away with like one case study, one solid takeaway. And you, you obviously have now like a plethora uh, to choose from for the, the next season. Are there any plans to do any kind of um, maybe qualitative or quantitative research, you know, either, you know, light or heavy, um, especially considering you have the support of your partners. I'm trying to think of the best way to, I'm going to probably have to cut this because this is like a, a meandering question, but I, I'm trying to like, I, I want to see research. Like I would love to hold in my hand a, a research paper showing quantifiable and qualitative outcome studies from something like this. Is that something that you are working toward? We should have that in March. So like done, done um, our first pass. So um, separate from all of this, uh, I have a, a, a startup that was funded by the Department of Education to create an evaluation platform for esports programs. And the idea here is that there are so many schools investing so much time, so much money um, and other resources into esports programs, and many of them are doing so blind. Um, and that, and the anecdotes are nice, but it's dangerous when we start talking about tens of thousands or even millions of dollars um, mm -hmm. and deciding where students should be going to college and things like that. So um, with the support from the Department of Education, we are creating a platform that will allow teachers to run their own studies inside of their classroom. Um, and we are running pilot studies here in Cleveland, as well as in New Jersey, um, starting this fall. And uh, by the end of January or February, the prototype version of our tool will be finished, um, which will be freely available, by the way. And uh, the results of our pilot studies will be published as a white paper. Um, with additional support, we are hoping that by 2022, we will have a final version of the tool, which again, we're hoping to make free and available to everyone. Um, as well as uh, substantially more research published on it as well. We're working with some pretty awesome people on this. Um, our, our head of research is uh, uh, Will Parton down at uh, the University of North Carolina. He's been doing um, substantial research in the culture and context of esports for a long time now. Uh, we also have a partner, uh, Foundry 10, out in Seattle. Um, they're one of the first uh, research firms to start connecting education and esports together. Um, we're really excited about the outcomes here. Uh, and we just, uh, we need a few more months and then hopefully we'll have something we can share out. So how can, how can other educators or other people who are interested in supporting this work, um, what can they do? You know, whether they want to help with the piloting or the research, or maybe they just want help starting up their own uh, esports program at their school. Yeah. So there are Anyone is welcome to join our, our eSports League that we're participating in now. It's called uh, the Mischief League, and you can access it at mischiefleague.org. Um, it is run by a nonprofit. It is free to participate in, and it is community-based and highly inclusive. So the idea here is that we're trying to take the model that was so successful here in Cleveland last year um, and uh, expand it to other communities. It is community-based. We don't do you know, a team from California playing against a team from New York. Um, that's fun. And maybe that's fun for scrimmages. But when we start talking about actually doing the hard work of building community, making connections between teachers, making connections between students, 
um, and seeing some of that skill development, it really needs to start um, at home. So, um, so for that signups for that are open right now until uh, November 1st. Um, and we are hoping to get a few communities online this year and then many more next year. And that league is being built in partnership with Games for Change, ISTE, um, and a few other partners as well. Wonderful. And if someone wants to either work with you or get in contact about the research angle? Um, yeah, you can always just follow me and ping me on Twitter. That's actually probably <laughs> literally the fastest way to do it. Um, but they're always welcome to email me as well. Um, our startup is a little bit in stealth mode. So um, I talk about it from here to there, but we, uh, we are making a big public push. Once the tool is live, we will be um, doing more in terms of that because we just like folks to know that it's available. Um, but we're trying to do all the, the ugly pipeline work in the background here uh, before, uh, before uh, looping everyone in. That's okay. I, I feel like we got a, a sneak peek, a behind the scenes. There you go. Of, <laughs> you know, we're, we're just about out of time and I, and I don't want, want to wrap up, but what is, what is next for you? What is next for Hathaway Brown? What is next for the Mischief League? Um, gosh, are you asking me for my five-year plan? I'm yeah, sure. yeah. Let's go with your five-year plan. All right. Um, oh man, this is going to sound crazy. Um, my five-year plan is that everything that we're doing right now is fun and wonderful and excellent um, and isolated. And so I am a big believer in using technology to connect. Um, when I was at the Department of Education, I worked a lot on interoperability standards. Um, I ran, in fact, um, a multi-million dollar project that connected state educational systems together. And um, my, my, next, uh, my next problem to tackle is how to generate the research that we're going to be generating by the spring and how the, to connect that to school systems. Because if esports is going to be taken out of the, yeah, that happens in the esports um, game lab and move it into, well, the, the things that we've learned from esports can actually impact our, how we teach our students then I think that we need to build better pipes between educational systems. And so um, that's that's the plan for 2022, 2023, um, is to find better ways to connect systems so that we can uh, spread these benefits around a bit. That doesn't sound crazy at all. That sounds like optimistic and hopeful <laughs> and energized. Well, I, I know that I know the tech. So my background is in... Um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, things like that. And so I know the tech is not going to be easy on this, um, but I am but I am super excited about um, tackling that problem head on. Everything that I learned about teaching, I'm exaggerating here, but for the, for the purposes of this statement right now, I will say everything that I learned about teaching, I learned from Dungeons and Dragons. And so I never thought that that would make sense or work. Um, and, you know, I certainly haven't been mentioning uh, orcs or rolling dice uh, to people as I've been going along in my career. Uh, but secretly in the back of my mind, I've been like, how would I have handled this as a dungeon master? Oh, and um, that's so and it's, it's been working. It's been working a lot. So, Well, that's definitely a pull tweet that you're going to see in your feed okay, real quick. Great. Just letting you know. All right. Perfect. Um, <laughs> is, there, is there anything that you wanted to say that I didn't ask you about or anything that you wanted to, to share or to make sure that I include in the show notes? 
The only thing that I would say is that for anyone who is exploring esports programs, for anyone who's trying to get a value out of it, don't just talk to the administrators and, and don't even just talk to the teachers, but talk to the actual students. I think that there's a huge difference um, between talking to someone like me who can kind of lay this out and then talking to one of my players who is just you can just see it immediately in their eyes that this is something that is meaningful and is and is literally shaping their their adolescent years. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Gameplay. If you're interested in listening to the episodes that we recorded with Jay's students back earlier this summer, those episodes are on the way. So consider your wish granted. They'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. I don't know about you, but I am super excited to hear what comes of Jay's research. And I really look forward to seeing what the research says about how teens are connecting with one another and with themselves through esports. Beyond Gameplay is a production of the iThrive Games Foundation, a 501c3 organization. For more information about how iThrive uses games and game design to prepare teens to thrive, visit us at iThriveGames.org. The show is hosted by me, Kelly Dunlap, and is produced by I Am Trent with direction from Dr. Susan Rivers and Jane Lee. Audio engineering and theme music was created by the noisy game maker Ethan Goss Alexander. Marketing and PR was coordinated by Jess Class and Sierra Martinez. Thank you for going beyond gameplay, where humanity is the core mechanic.